0: The oracle that the prophet Habakkuk saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not listen? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me seem wrongdoing and look at trouble? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law becomes slack, and justice never prevails. The wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, judgment comes forth perverted. I will stand at my watch post and station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what he will say to me and what he will answer concerning my complaint. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so that the runner may read it. For there." is still a vision for the appointed time. It speaks of the end and does not lie. If it seems to tarry, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. Look at the proud. their spirit is not right in them. but the righteous live by their fate. The Lord be the Lord. The word be of the Lord.
1: Our second scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, verses 5 through 10. The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord replied, If you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Who among you would say to your slave who has just come in from plowing and tending sheep in the field, Come here at once and take your place at this table. Would you not rather say to him, prepare supper for me? Put on your apron and serve me while I eat and drink? Later you may eat and drink. Do you thank the slave for doing what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were ordered to do, say, We are unworthy slaves. We have done only what we ought to have done. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Increase our faith. They demand. Is there a question, a plea for a miracle? Jesus has been doing some healing. He had just healed a crippled woman. Surely he can give them more faith. Increase our faith. They request. Is the request derived from a place of fear? Just prior to this text, Jesus was warning about not getting in the way so others may stumble. Increase our faith. Is their demand such so that they have enough ability to do all that Jesus is asking of them to do? Because Jesus had just been talking about how they must forgive. And if Jesus were to meet their request and increase their faith, what would that look like? What would that feel like? Somewhere in 8th or ninth grade, I really got into my Jesus freak years. Midweek youth events like FCA and Young Life were all the rage. And it's where my friends were hanging out, and so it is where I, too, wanted to be. But I never... I felt like I quite fit in with the experience. The praise band would be playing, and the kids are all raising their hands to the sky. And I'm like, what am I supposed to be feeling here? Why don't I feel anything? Do I not have enough faith? Looking back, I realized nothing was wrong with me, but that many of my friends had really bad theology and taste in music. So it's okay. We often desire more faith. How many of us have thought, Oh, I wish I had the kind of faith that could move mountains. ...as if it's something that we can pick up more of at the grocery store. Or perhaps we think think of it as winning the faith lottery. It's impossible to obtain unless we are lucky enough to win it. Or maybe we think of it as some kind of magic miracle... And if we had it, we could be like Wonder Woman and suddenly strong and resilient and able to confront any obstacle and able to always say, not today, Satan. But what do we think it looks like to have more faith? Does it mean our faith life will be easier, that we believe harder, that we have more knowledge? Does it mean that our doubts are removed, that we become more confident that what we've been told is true? For me to have more faith, do my hands magically float above my head during a praise song? Oh no. We live in a society where bigger is seen as better, where we can never have enough. We tend to believe that everything has to always feel extraordinary to count. Sensational news, fast action, bigger numbers. So maybe we think if we're not always having some mountaintop experience with God that somehow our faith is faltering. We think that we don't have enough. But Jesus... after the the disciples' request for for him to increase their faith, directs their attention to the mulberry tree. Maybe it's next to them. And he makes this faith metaphor that all the disciples need is the faith the size of a mustard seed. Jesus reminds them, and us, that faith is not fundamentally something we can quantify. Whatever the amount of faith that we have is all the faith that we need. It is enough. It reminds me of the scene from the movie The Wizard of Oz. Are you guys all familiar with The Wizard of Oz? But that part where Glinda the Good Witch tells Dorothy, who desperately has been wanting to go home, that she has always had the power to go home with the help of her ruby red slippers. And I was re-watching the scene while preparing for this sermon, and what's interesting is right after Glenda the Good Witch tells Dorothy that her shoes can take her back home, the scarecrow chimes in and says, Why didn't you tell her that? And Glenda the Good Witch responds, She would have not believed me. She had to learn for herself. How many of us would believe that we already have enough faith? Do we really believe Jesus when he tells us that our mustard Seed, size of faith is enough? And if not, how do we come to learn this for ourselves? There is a well-known joke, the Carnegie Hall joke. How do you get to Carnegie Hall? Y'all can do better than that. How do we get to Carnegie Hall? Practice, practice, practice. It's simple. Faith is manifested in how it's practiced. Faith is more than a verb, than a noun. If faith is like, say, learning a musical instrument, let's say the violin. You don't start out with the Beethoven's Sonata Violin Concerto Number 9. You start with plucking the strings. Sorry, I had this moment earlier this week with with Hayden. You start with Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. And then Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star becomes easier. And you move on to something more challenging. And you only get there with practice. And Jesus talks about faith in practice. And Jesus points out that a farmer simply expects a slave to prepare supper and serve him. Jesus expects us to be like slaves, serving others without question doing what we ought to do. Now, this part of the story about masters and slaves probably makes us cringe. The United States and our own community of Richmond has a painful history of the transatlantic and domestic slave trade that we have yet to really address. And this text is problematic for those who no longer accept the institution of slavery or perhaps have close ties to it. And while in the ancient world, a slave was not only a socioeconomic entity and a caste and, for lack of a better phrase, was widely accepted and not seen as shameful, No one wants to be a slave to anyone or anything. And for many in the world, slavery is not a distant memory, but a very real and present way of life. Between human trafficking and forced labor and prison labor and forced marriages, there are still over 45 million people enslaved in the world today. So when Jesus makes a comparison of slavery to that of our faith, it's problematic. Because I am sure at some point in time, this text was used to justify slavery. And I wish it weren't here in the text, but it is. And if we are going to take seriously the slave metaphor, we can at least ask, What kind of master is Jesus? And what we find is that Jesus becomes a slave to serve the neighbor. That this master wants to serve dinner to slaves. An inversion of what is currently known and what could ever be imagined. Jesus is wholly devoted to serving others. I think sometimes we think our faith has to always have some big and bold impact, that our faith should always be doing something extraordinary to show that our faith is just that, extraordinary. And so we withhold even the mustard seed we have, waiting for it to take root and grow, to get bigger and stronger, not realizing that the nutrients our mustard seed of faith needs is outside of us. That we should heed Jesus' metaphor that it is not about the quantity of faith, but the quality of who God is. We can't treat faith like some people treat their relationship to the gym or even to church. Where we think we have to lose weight first and get looking good first before we go to the gym. Come on, we've all, we know. Or we wait around and think, I can't go to church yet. My faith isn't strong enough to go to church yet. Throughout the gospel, those we least expect are often held up as exemplars of faith. A Roman centurion goes to great lengths to have him heal a trusted servant. And Jesus exclaims, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when a woman who has been hemorrhaging for 12 years touches the hem of Jesus' cloak, Jesus comforts her by saying, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And when a sinful woman anoints Jesus' feet with perfume and her tears, Jesus responds, your faith has saved you. And when only the foreign leper comes back to thank Jesus after being cleansed, Jesus says, rise and go, your faith has made you well. And when a blind beggar sitting on the road to Jericho desires to have his vision restored, he proclaims as Jesus goes by, Have mercy upon me. And Jesus heals him and says, Your faith has healed you. It doesn't take but a willingness to reach outside of ourselves where even the most mundane act of faith carries an extraordinary potential for transforming the world into the image of our creator. This week, Amber Geiger, a 31-year-old white police officer, was found guilty... And sentenced to 10 years in prison for killing Botham John, a black man from St. Lucia, when she mistook his apartment for hers. And before heading to prison, Botham's young brother, Brant, had the opportunity to share his thoughts during the victim impact statement. His words, if you are truly sorry, I know I can speak for myself. I forgive you. He then asked for permission to hug Amber, and with permission, the two wept and embraced. This man exercised his faith, reaching outside of himself to serve another. A gesture that allowed everyone the opportunity to move forward. It was an amazing act of forgiveness and healing. I doubt. It was easy. And it may very well be a decision that Brant has to choose daily. But it was an inversion of what is currently known and what could ever be imagined. And the world was turned upside down and transformed the world Into the image of our Creator, and our faith increased. I invite us. To stand as we are able and to sing our hymn of commitment, How Firm a Foundation, found on page 618. We will sing verses 1, 2, and 5. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. When there is chaos all around us, we are grateful for your presence, God, that comes in cool weather reminding us that you are moving and changing with us. When there is instability in life, in government and country, in division between people, we remember in our sacred stories and in those that came before us that you are very much present and working in and among us. When our loved ones are sick, we know that you are suffering too. And may we know that your presence is felt in our compassion and support and prayers for them. When life feels empty and we are struggling, may we know each moment as a blessing each atom as a miracle, each breath as a gift. And may our spirit of gratitude overwhelm our fears. When the challenges ahead seem like too much, may we remember Jesus' acts of care for himself through rest and prayer. May we remember his courage and strength as he moved toward the cross. May we remember his acts of resiliency as he questioned and thwarted the powers and principalities. And when we wonder if our faith is enough, May we remember that our mustard seed size of prayer and presence and showing up is indeed enough. Because it's not about the quantity of our faith, but the quality of who you are. Amen. (sniffs) Thank <sniffs> you. We give thanks for the planet we share with all of God's creation and for imagining a world made new. Let us share what we have as one way of creating a world free from hunger and poverty and oppression through our tithes and offerings. Pray, embolden us, O God, as people of your global village to trust a new creation as possible. May our sharing be a symbol of that trust. Amen. Feel free to be seated. A table is prepared for us, and we are invited. There is room enough for all at this table, a feast that nourishes and satisfies. On this World Communion Sunday, we remember our friends in faith around the world, gathered together with their own breads and own fruit of the vine to remember, as Christ called us to do, this in remembrance of him. We remember Jesus who gave himself and calls us into the act of giving of ourselves in love and in service to others, seeking forgiveness and reconciliation. We also remember those who have come before us at this table, deepening the roots of our tradition and helping us strengthen our faith through their living example. So come, one and all. Let us share in our communion hymn, Alleluia, Hear God's Story, found on page 330. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, This bread is like my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after supper, Jesus took the cup and poured it out and blessed it and gave it to them and said, The wine in this cup is like the blood in my veins. Pour it out to give you. New life. Do this in remembrance of me. Friends, our table is decorated with chalice and patents from friends and from breads across the world. It does look a little different. Um, Just to give you some direction, we will observe communion by intinction and we invite you to take a piece of bread and dip it into the cup. For those who do have any allergies, um, our traditional gluten-free and vegan bread is here with its own cup, um, and you can just let us know and partake of that. Alyssa, there's a particular bread for you on a regular plate that is egg-free, and I can point that out to you, okay? With that, let us pray. Gracious (laughs) Lord, hear our prayers. As we gather this morning to celebrate the symbols of your unconditional love and grace, let us embrace our Christian brothers and sisters worldwide. On this World Communion Sunday, help us draw strength from one another to go out into the world to live the life Jesus modeled for us, a life of compassion for others and
2: joy. The joy we find when we give our lives in service to you.
1: This bread, the representation of your body, given for us, is the manna that feeds all Christians the world over. May we take the manna today and remember your words to love
2: our neighbors, near and far, as we love ourselves and as you love us. In your precious name, amen. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we come to this table on World Communion Sunday. Knowing that your followers all over the world are participating in this commemoration of the Last Supper with Jesus and his disciples, we know that all we need is the faith of a size of a mustard seed to live by. As we continue to hear hear your story still unfolding each day, we ask your blessing on this cup representing Jesus' blood shed for us. We remember the great sacrifice he made for us. It is in his holy name we pray. Amen.
1: Um, our closing prayer, I invite you to turn into your bulletin. As We will be taking communion to some homebound people this week, including Bill Buckner and Betty Minetti. And so I invite you to join me into the commissioning of our bread uh, to those homebound. Elders, go with God to those who are not with us sharing with them the communion we shared in this worship hour. Let them know that they are remembered, loved, and continue to be a part of the Seventh Street Christian Church community. Amen. Now please join me, or please pray with me. (laughs) Let us go from this table as a renewed community, doing the radical work of the radical work of Jesus that calls us to live justice-making lives of faith. We are followers of God's way, and we give thanks. In the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And I think Gerald's coming down to, to play our closing hymn on the piano, so we'll give him a couple minutes, right? <laughs> are you playing the last hymn on the piano? Are you going to play it from there? That's fine. All right. never. Just kidding then. All right. Let us stand and join our voices in our closing hymn, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms, page 560. We'll sing verses 1 and 3. Well done. Uh, before my benediction, a few of you I think are staying after to help set up for a District 7 Assembly this afternoon. Just come see me and uh, I'll give you directions. So receive this benediction. From east, west, north, and south, we have been fed. Now may the God of community be with us all to be a just, free, and gentle people. And let the people of God say, Amen.